I don't anticipate there's going to be anything said, but do I get a, like a right of refusal? If something, you know, if we get into something and it gets real murky, I'd like to be able to say no. I don't know. I feel like you kind of waived your rights when you stepped in this room. <laughs> Well, I guess you can't say we didn't warn him. Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose. My name is Doug Gillen. And today you join me from the city of Fairy's Eye in Kosovo. For the first in a two-part special in conjunction with the public art project Kosovo Mural Fest. Kicking things off today, I sit down with the Detroit-based artist Pat Perry in my hotel room towards the end of our trip. Pat was invited here as a participating artist for the Kosovo Mural Fest, which saw him transform the end of a five-story residential building in the center of the city. The mural itself was built around varying design elements, including a childlike fighter jet, a towering flower, and a beautifully reimagined photograph of two Kosovar children picking flowers in a field. Through his mural work, Pat has teamed up with social enterprises and outreach projects with the aim of developing youth culture in areas such as Mozambique, Libya and Iraq. For his first visit to the Balkans, it was a pleasure to be able to sit down with Pat to discuss this latest piece and much, much more. I'd just like to say thanks to Lubibe Tapali and the whole team at the Kosovo Mural Fest, not only for their hospitality, but for their tireless efforts to promote new ideas and ways of thinking through art in the region. Enjoy the episode. We are sat just now in a hotel in Ferry's Eye, Kosovo. Today I am joined by the painter, muralist, photographer, filmmaker, illustrator. Have I covered enough ground in yeah, that one? Sure. Pat Perry. Pat, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, definitely. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I want to cover today, but let's start with the, the, the context, you know, where we are, why you're here. How are you enjoying your time here in Ferry's Eye, Kosovo? Yeah, great. Well, also, we're on this hotel floor by ourselves. There's nobody else around us, but we're here to do the Mural Fest with uh, with the Mural Fest Kosovo team and Libibe and all the folks that um, me, and, me and Axel are here painting. Let's see, just finished the painting, so we're on the home stretch of this trip and uh, climbed some mountains, did some art. First time in the Balkans? Yeah, it is the first time. A well, a well-traveled fellow. What was your sort of image of what this uh, place might be like, and how does that match up with the reality? I think the weird thing about Kosovo so far, or what it feels like, is it really is in between the east and the west. You know, like it is this kind of gradation of like as you're moving from the Middle East into Europe, and it feels like we're geographically synced up with the cultural gradient of that you know like it's a muslim country but it's not it's it's more moderate it's very european still but also like they're still figuring some stuff out here with infrastructure and everything else but that's also because it's such a young country yeah i mean it, it is funny because you look at it, it's like it, visually it's a very liberal place but you know I'm, I'm woken up at five in the morning with the call to prayer outside a mosque every single day yeah. um and, and how's the experience been for you is you, you you taking a lot away from it yeah sweet i mean it's it's been nice all the people have been super hospitable you know and honestly though i feel like most places almost everywhere i've been so far i can't think of a place where i would say otherwise really you know so i want to say that people here are extra hospitable but also you know we were in libya a couple months ago and people on the ground there were also really nice and this is a little bit of a new direction for you because i remember i'm you know i'm pretty familiar with you with your mural work particularly and this feels like maybe a slightly different pat perry that it's we're experiencing different. yeah or it feels different to me but it always feels different i think when you're the one painting things even when you look back at the like tra the trajectory <laughs> of what you're doing it never seems like to me i can't see this like coherent style or it doesn't all look the same but yeah, but that was one of the appeals of coming was uh, they didn't give me any structure of what I needed to paint. Yeah, so it's different, but I don't know. It's still just, you know, moving along with the other stuff. Can you maybe just describe what it is? Because this is an audio podcast, so yeah. there's a chance people well, won't have actually seen it. Let's see. Uh, a lot of it's just more simple drawings, like almost like line drawings, like framing in more painterly picture that's pretty loose and super colorful i feel like the murals are getting more colorful for me but uh let's see there's a fighter jet in the top you know um and then there's this uh scene of these kids in these flowers which is actually an old photo from pristina uh where these kids were picking flowers in front of the central bank but i ended up taking out the central bank because i didn't want to like really inject that kind of 
whole narrative. But it was going to be funny because the thing about the central bank being in the background originally with the painting was that it was going to be, I think, the significance to people in the West or in the U.S. or maybe, you know, in other places would be that, oh, it's like this comment on on economics and capitalism and and what that means. But to people here, something like a central bank, we were talking about this the other day, you know, like uh, is kind of this basic piece of infrastructure. And it's something we take for granted. And it's even hard for me to describe like exactly what a central bank does. But I think it's just one of those pillars that like helps each state have currency, you know, the society function yeah, right. so that you can have money so that when you want to go buy a chicken, you don't have to trade a bag of bricks for it you know like just these simple things so i guess it means different things to different people but anyways that's not in it it's more just simple now and uh it's just like kind of a patchwork of pictures but the thing is is like there's a lot of things going on for all of us in our brains at once and i don't want to pick just a single image to paint yeah. Back in 2021, Pat was kind enough to write an essay titled Two Guidebooks and a Painting for Juxtapose. Through examples of American intervention in Afghanistan and Iraq, pivoted against his own admittedly faulted political stance, Pat's essay is an open call for us all to exercise humility in cases of political and social discourse. A trait that often falls to the wayside with a media obsessed over polarization. We're about to discuss some of the talking points of this essay. If you would like to read it for yourself, there will be a link in the show notes for this episode. It's funny sort of just being here in general. And I've just read like literally two minutes ago, I read your 2001 essay, two guidebooks and a painting that you did for juxtapose. Did you say 2001? 2001, 2021. <laughs> Holy shit, I just oh, lost man. 20 years. I'm going to backpedal on that. So I've just <laughs> 2021 essay, two guidebooks and a painting that you did for Juxtapose. And in that essay, you're delving into US imperialism, the war in Afghanistan, among many other topics that you touch on. But what I find particularly interesting, what I really want to want to talk about just now is this, you know, you've in, in previous years, in recent years, you've painted in Iraq, you've painted, you've created, uh, written this essay about the war in Afghanistan, and here we are in Kosovo. You know, these are all kind of like a pretty, you know, common examples of where US intervention or imperialism or something to that effect may have had quite a big impact. How does being in places like here or Iraq affect your re relationship with the US? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Also, I just want to say about that essay that I really was just trying to use those those things that happened in, in US interventions as, a, as an example of something of just trying to talk about how we form ideas and opinions about things, uh, because my opinions or ideas about those have changed a lot. Partly, partly, yeah, because traveling and especially going to Iraq, but also they changed in a direction I didn't really expect. I figured out that things, geopolitics, are a lot more complicated um, than we think they are. I think it was easier, it used to be easier to just kind of like brush it all away or be like, you know, of course, the U.S. has had these interventions that are bad and we can talk about how bad they were. Um, but there's also, it's it's hard, like in Kosovo and in, in Iraq. Um, Almost like two opposite sides of where we would see the reception being for these. Well, it's weird when you go to a place and especially when I first went to Iraq, I was like, yeah, that war was pretty bad. Right. You know, to everybody in Iraq and to the to the, uh, the we were also in Kurdistan. So it's a little different. It was with Kurdish people. But I was trying to make sure everyone knew right away that I was I was one of the good Americans that understood the complexities of it, you know, and how what we how all the missteps we took. But also people there were like. Also, Saddam was horrible, you know, and I'm not trying to I'm not going to sit here and justify anything that happened there. But just the fact that people surprise you in the way that they see it from different sides or see it multidimensionally at once, you know. Tell me about that experience a little bit then. Um, you know, Iraq's not a place that I think many listeners of this podcast will have had a chance to, or will ever get the chance to visit. So how did that project come into fruition and, you know, what? What was that experience like there? This is actually a, a, a good thing to think about, I think, for younger artists, too, of I, how that project came about is funny. I just was basically searching on the Internet if any if anyone was doing projects in conflict areas or like with the or working alongside like the bigger NGOs or the UN. And I was just searching around, kind of looking. And then I found this group called AppDarts, which is basically the brainchild of uh, Samantha Robeson, my colleague on these projects and 
Her and I uh, have done that, gone to Iraq twice, um, went to Mozambique, just went to Libya. But um, yeah, I just found her and emailed her and was like, you know, let's do a project together. And then she saw the paintings I'd been doing and we did a Skype call and then we became pretty close friends and have been working together on that. Yeah, so I think like just all that to say, like when you're interested in something, like I have a real interest in what's going on in the world and kind of understanding, especially modern history. And I have a, you know, I listen and read a lot about that and so i just asked and reached out to her and then we started working together we is this straightforward enough to run up to go paint a mural in iraq straightforward (laughs) well the other i mean she she, just in case anyone was like hey i think easy jet are doing flights there well she was like i'm i'm also helping work on the skate park in iraq in two months we're going to build the first skate park there and we should also do a mural project to go alongside that and i said okay let's do it yeah so there was a, a, an infrastructure or, or the beginnings of a project already already going. Yeah, and, and she had worked there for a while. She had actually used to live in, in Solomonia, the town we were in, which is in northern Iraq. Tell me about the experience then. What was, was there anything that took you by surprise or was it as you would have expected in terms of a, an experience of being in and around there? I mean, the first thing for me was that in a Middle Eastern, it was my first time in a Middle Eastern country, being in a, in a country that's pretty fundamentalist religiously is quite different you know uh just the lack of women out on the street was really hard to get used to uh but also even there in the town we were in in northern northern iraq and kurdistan it was pretty duplicitous so like uh there was a lot of muslims but also people that weren't and um minority religions so people were pretty accepting you know it wasn't very it wasn't as strict as libya the noticeable thing obviously is the the cultural difference with you know being in a religious state like that and how was the response to the artwork itself yeah it was really good actually and that is another funny thing about it is when you're in a place like that uh there's not the same norms around what people expect you to put in the mural. Like, for example, uh, they wanted to have something progressive or new kind of, which there means just painting. We painted a young teenage girl, which is, wow, it's edgy, you know, with with her hair and everything. And it was, you know, we didn't want to paint her in the hijab. We wanted to paint this, this Kurdish girl, you know, typing, um, like getting an education kind of, you know, so we did that. But also flanking her is this traditional Kurdish guy. And he's in his traditional Kurdish garb and uh some folks had also expressed it would be cool to paint something traditional in there and then here i come as an american thinking you know this is cultural appropriation like here i am some white dude i'm I'm about to paint this person in their in their traditional clothing and i'm asking them about this you know hey i want to be careful and they're just not understanding what, what the deal is. Nobody ready to write a think piece on why no, this, no, <laughs> like, this is like It's just not a thing. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, we would be so honored to have this shown, you know? And I'm not saying that, that it just depends the context, you know? So to certain people, there's just a different value system. Yeah. You talk about this, or you seem to be drawn towards these areas of, of conflict. What role does art play for you in these conversations or in this environment? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be, and I don't want to be like a disaster tourist, you know, but I do want to get outside There's of the Western. There's a fine line, isn't yeah, there? Oh, absolutely. And, but I do want to get outside of the Western world. And honestly, like, I mean, most of these things are cliches, but really the thing that it just drives home for me is I've definitely felt way luckier living in the U.S. and just having the, you know, the standard, what I see as standard comforts. Um, yeah, and, and even just things like safety and security and being able to go where you want, when you want, you know. I can't help but, like, really the way it's shaped me the most, I think, is just when I'm back at home. Yeah, feel yeah. really grateful. What is the line, then, between uh, someone that's doing genuine engagement and a disaster tourist? Well, I think it's trying to contribute something while you're there, you know, and also being real and being curious with the people, but also kind of, like, asking what they want and what the needs are and what you can do that's going to help. I think in these places also, another thing is painting murals. Not all murals are well-received. Not all murals are great. You know, it depends where it is. Some places also have a ton of murals already and people kind of roll their eyes at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in a place like this, there's not these large scale murals, you know, and it opens up this idea for youngsters there, for young kids that want to paint, teenagers and, and people that can do that. Honestly, at the end of the day, you don't need that much stuff to make a mural you need a lift and a lot of paint you know Um, and a skate park i do have to say that like and one of the coolest things about the project and working alongside that in iraq was i didn't know i was going to go back the next year we finished the skate park i helped on it a little bit mainly i was painting but the skate park in in iraq 
we had the opening day, you know, there's a dozen kids that came out are kind of pushing around on the boards. But then I go back a year later and we walk up the hill in this park where the skate park is and it is packed. It is packed with kids. There's like a hundred kids there. And this was just a random day. Uh, tons of girls also, which is, oh, it was just a lot. You know, it's was, it was sweet. I think that's, that's where it kind of, where it starts to become a bigger picture. The murals are one thing, but the murals and the artwork needs to have more than just a painting on a wall. And that's where you start to build like this grassroots thing that kind of feels like a little bit more organic than just the painting on the walls. You know, it's when you start to see things like the skate park, the illegal stuff coming up on the walls, you know, where it starts to kind of like grow as an organism and into, into more than just painting, it becomes a, like a mentality that starts to shift for people. Yeah, and also, I mean, the context of it is kind of how I'm trying to focus on what, where the meaning comes in of the paintings, less than me like being an opinion machine for putting ideas on a wall in the painting or like making a billboard for what my ideas are is, is where you're doing it and how you're doing it, you know? Yeah, and exactly, like the context. And a lot of the meaning of those things in, the, in working in those countries especially is just that things that seem almost superficial but are not superficial, like just making contact with, with these other people and showing them that you care, that you weren't scared to go there, that you want to talk to them or you're interested. You know, in Kosovo here and especially in Libya too and Iraq and, and lots of countries like this, I feel like people are grateful that you are interested. Like you have interest in it, which sounds so obvious. Of course we're interested, you know, but they're, yeah, I just feel like people are so gracious and grateful about that. The, the thing that I always, that will sit with me forever. I remember getting off the plane the first time I came to Kosovo and our, the, the driver had said, you know, where are you from? I was like, hey, I'm from Great Britain. He said, oh, our angels are here. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, oh, the, the, the great British angels, you saved it. And I was like, wow, man, my head is spinning just now. And it is, I think people do just have, uh, you know, there is a there's a real graciousness here that I think you, you definitely don't get in Wynwood in Miami when you turn yeah. up. Yeah, and I mean, I love how this helps inform my bigger analysis or my political analysis or how I interpret the events that have happened in the past 30 years and how our countries have been involved in them. But also like, you know, as well as I do, like we were just in this, we were just at this army base yesterday working with these Afghan refugees 15 miles from here. And in that moment when you're doing it, you know, you're thinking about the broader context and it is important to think about that. But Life happens on an individual level with people. You know, yesterday we're just talking to people that are sitting there in front of us. And I just think that is the weird takeaway more than anything is that you're just looking someone in the face and you're just trying to get through whatever you're doing with them right now and making that little connection. And I would rather have that stuff shape kind of my bigger picture than, and I do want to keep reading the books and reading the critiques and everything. But, you know, this is, this is what you're going to remember. And this is ultimately, we're all shaped by what happens right in front of us. You know? So uh, th this is, I mean, it was obviously, a, you know, it's one of those experiences that will sit with you and sit with me for the rest of my life, you know, kind of being in that place with those kids. And they were just so enthusiastic and they were all really keen to get, they were some of them a little too enthusiastic, but they were also <laughs> so keen to get painting. And it was just, it just turned into absolute chaos by the end of it. But, and this is maybe a, a very, borderline unfair but quite blunt question do activities like this fulfill a greater role or are they actually just a self-fulfilling performance uh i don't think they're a performance but i think they are definitely self-serving in the way of i get to be i get to round myself out as a person you know and i'm definitely I look forward to that, you know, that that experience is going to be something that helps me contextualize everything else I'm doing when I'm at home. Most of the time doing boring stuff like installing a boiler in my basement. And I'm thinking back to these or I was like looking at the 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 HVAC or lack of it in this tent, you know, just like these little things. So, yeah, there's a, there's this part that definitely uh, serves serves myself, you know, but I think the performative, you know, part of it is all about how you how you decide to show other people what you did, you know, and it is a fine line, but also you have to know as an artist that you're doing things on a public stage, you know, and either way, I mean, this isn't any different than anything else any of us have been doing that are painting and posting on Instagram and sharing what we did or what we ate or, you know, it all is a performance. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was sitting with you last night. It was just like, I had that thing and I was like, I'm posting this thing and I was like, hang on, am I, am I buying into the machine? Am I doing this? Is this self-fulfilling? And I was like, ah, oh, and it just started to, 
it spin me out a little bit. I was like, hang on, who, what, what, what role, what function is this doing anymore? It is, and I feel like I've, I've been, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been real uh, slow to kind of want to engage in that in the past. I, I've been careful. I don't want to post this. I don't want to tell people what I'm doing with my life. But the other thing is like, what's the, what's the alternative to that? That we just don't tell people that we did that yesterday or we don't share that or something, you know? And to me, it's like, it's better to at least maybe go there. And I think it's just careful. You have to be careful about the way you do it. You know, we're not on there saying, and now these kids are saved by us. You know? <laughs> yeah, we go in. It's, I think that's it. It's where you've got the, the photos of you with all the children. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned billboards earlier. No, you mentioned billboards in this 2021 SE. Jeez, I know we did it again. 2021. Uh, 2021 SE. Uh, use your voice. What are you about that? Oh, jeez. You wrote it. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, t- I took a... I took a stab at, at Shepard Fairy on the <laughs> I'm going to put in some, some big explosion sound oh, effects. In the back of this. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, I'm, I'm just excited to see what the next phase of the culture is kind of after. And I hope that I've heard that Gen Z is kind of more into uh, like losing the cynicism and the kind of like, it's cool to be rebellious and like, ride a motorcycle and like stick up your middle finger and stuff like it just seems corny to me to be like this whole thing of like rebel use your voice like all institutions are bad and it's like yeah okay but now what like i just feel like there's something underneath that or something like past that or i just don't want to like this kind of cool guy thing of like yeah this like cool detachment you know um it's just not that it's just not that interesting to me like so, so you're going to wear a t-shirt saying uh, reform the establishment or oh, just be graceful. It. I don't know. Sponsor complexity. Yeah. Sponsor complexity <laughs> yeah. t-shirts coming. Yeah, be winter 2022. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know, but it's hard because yeah, these things are a little, they're not as exciting. You know, they're not like attention grabby, but it's just like, it's corny. Like credit card companies use the same language, you know, like I think it's time for artists to kind of, you know, most, I don't know do something different. Do you think then that there is uh, a, a, a potential much greater role that artists can fill of, or uh, yeah, within society that is beyond just here's some snappy logo, logos, yeah, slogans yeah, and some cool images. Yeah, to understand each other. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I think it's hard. But also I think it's like, I think of, of poetry a lot about this, you know, like um, poetry, like everybody says they love poetry and I'll say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a, fan of poetry like it's like what poems do you like like they all suck you know like it's it's like saying um it's a it's a star that guides you you know like yeah you shoot for greater things with art and it's not about necessarily that you did it and you made a transformative thing every time you're not always going to do it but it's what you're aiming for you know i think you can aim for better things what got you into art oh man (laughs) i've been drawing since it's not a it's not like an exciting story really. I've just been drawing since I was four years old, just like everybody does when they're a kid. And I just kept going and kept doing it. And all growing up, I was obsessed with drawing, you know? Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time drawing and I just kept doing it. When you, If you would have asked me when I was six, I would have been like, I'm gonna be an artist. Yeah, so. <laughs> was that always like an actual option? Like, did you see in, in, in your head that you could actually have a job as an artist and that could be a thing? Definitely not, no, because I went to a public school there wasn't any special arts program. It was really thinned down, just like the basic arts classes. Where, where was this, sir? In in West Michigan. Yeah, like outside Grand Rapids in a small town called Comstock Park. No, I didn't see it as an option. And also, um, I had to pay for college myself. And when I was at that point, you know, I just figured I would go and I would have to be like a graphic designer or something. But I actually sucked at graphic design. And luckily, I was like, no, I could be an illustrator. And then I was an illustrator. I was starting to be an illustrator. And then I was like, no, I can be an artist. And I don't know. Yeah worked out that was it you just became an artist i quit my there? job at 19 but yeah at 19 i quit my last job and i've been doing freelance and, and art stuff what was your first uh, gig that supported you and how did you make that transition uh you know to go from being able to quit your job because this is like an important thing that i like to hear from people you <laughs> yeah, know it's because it's question. like such a it, you know hey i'm an artist i, yeah. I was going to be an artist and then i became an artist well, there's more to the story than that no, definitely yeah i had um I was working, I had a paid internship at a graphic design company for like maybe eight months. Um, Before that, I was working at like a Mediterranean grill as a line cook. Um, But then I had this little gig doing like this web design thing for like 10 months. And then I had saved up 
I think $1,400 and I was, it felt like a lot of money. So I decided to quit my job and I was like, this will give me like three or four months. So I got three or four months to figure it out. And I don't know, you know, I just took off the life jacket and jumped in the water. But uh, yeah, I think I had just gotten a job for, um, I did some skis for K2 and they paid me $700, I think. And I was like, man, I'm doing it. 700 bucks that was a lot for in that moment so did it start off mainly with commercial gigs then yeah yeah definitely and then i was just trying to wriggle my way out of that i think a lot of people get stuck in that and or you know also i'm not i don't have any shame or like i think it's fine to do that i was gonna say do you think there's a stigma around you know artists taking commercial gigs does that devalue them as as creators or or you think that's uh i would have told you i used to think it did you know i think that a lot of creative energy gets sucked up into the advertising world, you know, a lot of people that could be doing more profound things, you know, but I also think that it's okay, you know, that also there needs to be people making great commercial art, you know, um, in the right context, you know, yeah. I got a friend that's like, you, if you ask him what he does, he says, I'm a commercial artist. And I just think he's the coolest because... He, uh, he claims it, you know, it's more just about just being honest about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, and it is, it's about kind of peeling back that stigma because there is, you know, there's, there's fucking honor in that, you know, there's a, there's a job in that and you don't have yeah. to, you know, you're not completely tied to the, you know, desk life nine to five and you're doing something that you actually like. Yeah. If I was doing that all the time, commercial art, I would be sad. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel like I was doing what I wanted to be doing. But there's but, stability. So if you're looking for stability, then maybe there's uh, yeah, and something Yeah, also I would that. never judge anyone for doing that. You know, it's ridiculous. Of course. What's your kind of connection with the street stuff? When did that start to come in? Was that always there? No, I mean, I never was like a sweet graffiti person, but what I was doing was just doing like a lot of train monikers when I was riding trains. So I was just like doing like tons of thousands of little doodles on, on freight trains and going to the train yard, you know? And then I started like, you know, to do those, you use like Markals, like welding crayons, you know, they're like oil-based welding crayons. So I was using those to do my little monikers. And then I started doing these big drawings on the trains with those. And then I started to see people doing the street art mural things. And I really wanted to try to do that. So I started painting some smaller paintings just on my own. And then, yeah. I think this is the first time I mean, we've had no shortage of artists that have been on this podcast that have come from graffiti and then moved into muralism. But I think this might be the first time that we've had someone come from the freight train scene. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, but that kept me humble also because I feel like that scene is really tied to like the political punk scene, anarchy land kind of. uh, It's a scene that actually people don't really care about. I I don't want to say they don't. I don't want to say they don't or just the genre of art is different. A lot of people I feel like are more involved in music about making little drawings for zines, things like this, you know, but like you'd never would get a bunch of smoke your way for being a, a sweet artist. If anything, I was kind of embarrassed that like I had another like kind of gig going of like making my art career, you know, so kept me humble. Why do you think that is then? Not the humble part, the fact that it doesn't kind of maybe get the same respect uh, respect or response than other forms of subculture. Um, I don't know. Just the politics, I guess, are different. Yeah, I don't want to say, I don't want to speak for everybody. Sure. I think also, well, that's the other thing. I heard also, I think Jeff McFetridge said this. Did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that guy? Yeah, yeah, of course. I heard him in a former interview. guest on Radio Juxtapose. I heard him say this a long time ago. It might have been in Beautiful Losers or something, but he's like, I did this big gig. I did something for Pepsi, you know, and I thought all my friends were going to be like, you're a sellout. You know, I always felt that way, even just like doing big art show or like, you know, or having a feature in Juxtapose nine years ago or something, you know. And every time that happened, all of my most like rigid political punk friends were like, that's fucking awesome great job you know they were so excited for me so it's nice to but it's like a, an acknowledgement of uh success or a, uh you know yeah it is it's an acknowledgement of success even if you take a job for pepsi it's like hey pepsi were interested enough in your work your creative practice to give you money to do what you're already doing like that's a cool thing yeah and it's i think it's just a matter of balancing it out and not getting swept up in it you know and not just uh i think it is easy to chase the money or or to just if you're getting emails all the time we're going to pay you 10 grand to do this we're going to pay you 15 grand to do that you know and it's just building with the commercial art thing you people just do what they're incentivized to do it's not anyone's fault really you know like but 
I think it's good to just try to like also remember what you actually want to do when you look back 20 years from now and what your art was, you know. It it's funny you say that because I've seen in the in the London scene particularly, I've seen what the hand-painted mural adverts, what that's done to creativity for artists in the city. Yeah. And it's completely sucked out and it's this false sort of straw man almost as if it's like saying, hey, look, we've got we've got artists doing creative things and we're paying them and they're all getting yeah. work. Yeah, but none of them are making their own art anymore. Yeah, right. None of them are doing shows anymore. And they're all doing these, you know, big, big adverts for your companies. Well, and the best way I've found to ba balance that out in the past uh, several years is I found a way to start kind of making bigger commissions, doing some murals usually in the States. Uh, so I'll do one or two big mural commissions uh, a year and kind of cover a lot of my finances with those and then I can do stuff like this you know I can go to Kosovo or Libya or, or these countries where we're obviously not getting paid and uh, it's it's tiring and it's a lot of work and it's a big time suck but those other jobs allow you to do that so I think it's just a springboard for stuff you know for you this has a more rewarding balance yeah totally I mean every every painting though I mean I feel really good about but yeah but you're still an exhibiting artist yeah yeah yeah, definitely. And so, how does your studio practice fit into all this? Then into in, into the grand scheme of things, there's a different sort of freedom with studio paintings and a whole different list of considerations. You know, yeah. But I'm trying to bring those two closer together. What's in the murals and what's in the studio paintings? But for for a while, they almost were two separate artists. Yeah, yeah. And they still they're still different. You know, but also there's just a different. There's a whole bunch of different stuff to consider when you're going to do something that people are going to see every day, maybe from their like bedroom window, <laughs> you know, or yeah. and they're going to walk by every day and you have a big responsibility that way. You know, if someone doesn't want to look at your studio painting, they really don't have to. Yeah, they, they don't have to put their hand in their pocket <laughs> yeah. and buy it. They yeah. don't have to come to the show. Yeah. There's no opt out with a mural. What inspires you? How do you approach like a body of work in the studio? Is it coming from an idea as, as a collection or are you just looking for individual bits of inspiration? The last one the sense making show at Hashimoto that was last fall that was definitely like more of a concept album I guess like I had this big idea about uh, what was behind it and kind of this whole world it was like a lot of I would guess I'd call it world building you know or that's how people would describe that but um, now I'm trying for the next show to be a little more intuitive about it or I also I feel like I have this visual language that I've been building and I have these lists in my sketchbook of it's like a it's like a vocabulary kind of of like these different motifs that are coming up you know I've been like using a lot of Craigslist things over and over um just for the listener then could you maybe describe what this visual language some signifiers some of these motifs might might yeah. be so if I could see it I could go oh okay I get that now yeah so there's like this uh group of performers that are in a lot of these paintings and then there's also like uh there are always almost always landscapes um there's like that part of it and then there's also swimming pools craigslist ads things taken from craigslist ads wi-fi um like internet language sort of just like a myriad of these things that from the last show that i think i'm still like using and are transforming into other things but so what do these... What it's does, hard to describe your art in words. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that, oh, was, yeah. that was such a nice. unnecessary take. <laughs> sorry. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's 7... Is it 7.30 a.m.? We're at 8. No. Okay, okay. No excuse. You're listening to Pat Perry Live in conversation with me, Doug Gillen, from Ferry's Eye, Kosovo, for this year's edition of the Kosovo Mural Fest. Stay with us now as we journey further into Pat's past with his obsession of freight trains, activism, and a lot more. I want to jump back actually because we we kind of touched about freight freight trade culture there, and there was a bunch of questions that I actually did want to want to ask because it's something that you've talked about really fondly. Um, what is it that interested you about you know riding freight trains, and you know what do you get from that, and does it is it still something you're actively participating in? Well, I do want to say that because I mean, for anybody else riding trains out there, I definitely am barely. I mean, I I ride a train maybe one to two times a year. Mainly, I have a pretty. I have like a Costco card now and stuff and homeowner's insurance. so And a boiler that you're <laughs> yeah. fixing up. Yeah, but uh, I used to ride a lot of trains and yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what was the appeal. Into. Yeah, I had no money and I wanted to travel and it's so 
beautiful. It's like it's like end, endlessly scrolling scenery for days, and uh, it's this cat and mouse game. It's fun, you know. You have to hide from the cops or the rail police, and uh, there's a huge reward of this scenery. You get to see. It's like you get to see America from backstage. I know that's corny, but it really is. Like it's like. I love it's that. Like, but normally, if you take a road trip, you're driving down a highway. All the billboards are facing you everything is facing you ready for you to drive that direction and this like yeah there's some amtrak that goes on it but mainly you're just going through people's backyards through the backs of towns you know it's like a secret window into things it's so sweet yeah it's great but i don't it's weird that i still feel like that's part of my uh personality or something with art but i mean i don't even want to claim that i'm just trying to pay attention to uh real life everyday things now and just trying to kind of enliven them through pain. Do any of your work is still on the on the trains? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. No, people send me photos sometimes, like friends and yeah, we and I see friends stuff. Yeah, it lasts a while. They is there is there a particular yeah. memorable route that stood out for you and why? Like a particular part of the country that just kind of caught your heart? I mean out west is the spot to ride trains. It's sweet. Because also if you get one you can ride for two days and not have to switch trains. You know, the East Coast is like this crazy intricate web, but uh definitely also Canada, um, like the Canadian High Line was awesome. But uh, yeah, uh, Glacier National Park, Montana, Wyoming, big, big states, you know, just yeah. and wow. Yeah, you can probably hear it in his voice. He's got a big <laughs> grin in his face as he's talking about this. Yeah. Like definitely the most animated, <laughs> animated I've yeah. seen him. Well, it's it's so romantic, too. And we were just talking earlier yesterday. I know about a trying to be less romantic in a way about what you expect out of life, but it is one thing that just checks the boxes, all the romantic boxes. Is it still a, a thing? And, and I always try to picture myself as someone that's just listened to you talk about this. Like how, how, how do I, what's the best piece of advice if I think, hey, I'm broke and I want to see the country. What do, how do I do it? I'm just going to put a disclaimer that there's only, there's not a huge train riding community really. And yeah. folks really don't love the YouTube GoPro videos, that kind of thing. You know, it's, it is true that it kind of puts Sensational. it at risk. Well, it just puts it at risk. Like if uh, the train companies kind of get wind that this is a problem or there's enough people doing it, you know, so I would say, I don't know, try to keep it low profile if you're going to do it. Um, but you know, be safe. It's, it is dangerous. You got to be careful doing stuff like that. And there's friends and people we know that have gotten killed and yeah. So I don't want to necessarily like be encouraging people to do that but if you're gonna do it talk to someone that's done it and get some advice and think about it and also here's something to deter you the rule of thumb is that it's three parts it's one third walking one third waiting one third riding so it's a lot of boring sitting around behind a gas station or in a bush you know just being so bored yeah Okay, that's good. That was sober advice there. I like, I like that. You talked about the kind of connection that the freight trains had with sort of anarchist and punk politics. You've got a little bit of a history in, in some of that yourself. Have you ever been arrested? Oh, funny you ask. <laughs> yeah, this is all, these are, now we're going into territory. This is all almost 10 years, you know, but like, uh, yeah, I did a direct action with Earth First, which is an environmental group. Um, that does like a nonviolent direct action. And also I do have to say that there's a long history of this. I wasn't as, as involved and integral to that as a lot of people I know were. Even the difference in viewing the climate movement in 2011, it felt like you were just yelling into the void and nobody was paying attention. It really did feel like that to me. And at the time we were like, we got to do something. And also I was in my early 20s. So we were we were getting pretty extreme out there. And yeah, so... Uh, we were in Southern Ohio, like 80 of us all had this three day meetup in the middle of the winter up on this like farm. And it's just like, we were outside almost the whole time, just like bundled up, like planning this thing. And, uh, we all like the day of the action, we all uh, woke up at like sunrise, put on these like white hazmat suits. So it was hard to tell who was who. And we all looked the same. And then we just like rushed this frack waste facility and, uh, like chained ourselves to, all the equipment in the trucks and then we built this huge monopod pole like sticking up and then it was held up and someone climbed like 30 feet to the top of it this guy nate he was being held up by these these chains coming down on all sides or like three sides of it and they were tied to like trucks so if they moved the trucks and they were using that infrastructure he would fall down and die so they couldn't move it. So we're like holding it hostage, basically. And it was a frack waste facility. So they're shipping frack waste down the Ohio River by barge, which was 
dangerous to the environment we were as we thought and uh so we stopped work for about i don't know seven hours while they dealt with us and then i got arrested and i went to jail for two days beautiful i've got to ask you that we were, there was definitely a more elegant graceful way of segueing wrenching that story into the conversation <laughs> but we were sat yesterday in the in the u.s army base and it was one of the things that we ended up talking about i thought that was a, a really insightful little snapshot into maybe a past pat yeah but is yeah. are you still as sort of proactive with your politics and things like that as as maybe a young 20 20 year old buck might have been i don't think i'm as self-righteous about my politics i think that uh i'm more curious uh i want to talk to different types of people i feel like more pragmatic about things hopefully um i know that it's not cool really exactly to be i know it it comes across it reads better to be strong and and emphatic about what you believe but i guess i am right you, you are know. wrong this is why i am right yeah i mean in a way but uh i feel like my my ethics and my political journey now is a lot i feel more proud of who i am now than i was yeah was there a gradual transition between young hazmat uh you know dangling from the the rafters well i think it's seeing your size in the world like i think it's about thinking about what you actually want to do or what you want to sound like and come off as you know like uh these big ticket big picture items and these culture war issues and different things that these dilemmas of our times, they're important and it's important to have some analysis on them. But also what really matters is what you're doing that's, you know, what's right in front of you and what you're doing. And like, for example, like um, living in my house in Detroit in the neighborhood that I live in, it's all black neighborhood. It's like somewhere that I've planted roots. I've lived in that house now for seven years and uh, just like focusing on the local politics of my neighborhood, trying to like keep things on an even keel there um, and and help and contribute and, and grow that community is... Uh, is something I'm much more proud of than me making an Instagram story the in the pastel colors with whatever meme. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I don't know. So I think about what what my impact can actually be, and obviously it's both. But doing things in Kosovo or something like this scratches one itch of trying to be in contact with a larger picture of what's going on. But also, if you're political, you should be doing something where you are that's local too. That otherwise, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. You're just talking or cool. You have an Oh, you think this is bad? Wow. Sweet. As an artist that is, you know, always, actually, I don't know how much of your year, sorry, is, is traveling and how much is sort of based at home? Oh, it's mo well, during or since COVID, the past few years has been a lot more at home. And how um, do you feel about that sort of, that you know, nesting and that base and setting up some, like you say, some roots? It can be quite a hard thing to do, you know, um, when you, this lifestyle, this kind of hotel moving, 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 it can be really, it can be draining, but it's, well, I traveled for years. Also, that was one of the reasons I bought the house in Detroit and fixed it up. This abandoned house, you know, is that I was just like, it's actually really limiting and constricting when you're living out of a bag, you have a limited set of options. Oh, cool. I can go to this coffee shop and hang out for a while, or I can like sit around with my friends or whatever, but uh, I feel more freedom from having somewhere to base things and to build things, make things, think about things, make um, food, <laughs> you know. When or what was the last thing you changed your mind about? Oh, man, I never I never got to that question. We got to you got to structure it a different way. <laughs> I don't have one off the top of my head. Yeah, I love that question. But yeah, it's a tough one. But I do. I would say in that essay, though, and the, you know, that that was a lot of what I was trying to write about was changing my mind. I guess like the greater thing, I, I can't say one, but over the past several years, I just feel like changing my mind about how, okay, here's a big one. I'm, I'm not great at summarizing this, but like, I think when I look at most people, I think like 90% of people in the world are, are trying to do the right thing and be pretty good people. And there are like evil people out there and the powers that be and, you know, a cabal of some corporate this and that. But I'd say like most people I meet, I think they're, it's like beyond good and evil, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, like human beings do make horrible mistakes when they're trying to do the right thing, you know, and that's kind of like the context I see the world. And that's changed a lot in the past few years. Like I don't see like good and bad in the same way. I yeah. guess. Maybe maybe the, then a better way of phrasing it for this one would be, why should we change our mind? Because you have huge blind spots, because moral humility, uh, epistemic humility, you know, like uh, especially now with the digital age, like look how much trouble um, during COVID everyone had with finding the right information about the vaccines and um, about anything else. I still don't know if I made all the right choices, but I did my best, but it was incredibly hard to find 
what was true and what was real. And not to get into a whole side thing on that, but just that it's incredibly tough right now in this information ecosystem to figure out what's real, you know? And also the less you're, you just have so much to kind of process. It's like this huge drain on trying to figure that out. So yeah, just be conscious of that, you know, like we're all wrong about so many things, you know, <laughs> like, of course. Daily. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, one of the other things you talked about in the, in the essay was this sense of tribes and tribalism. And you went to a Catholic school. You were yeah. a member of anarchist groups or climate groups. Do you think tribes are something that we as humans actively seek or is, is, is it that they fulfill a particular role for you? Oh, I mean, it's like the most natural, as far as I understand with history, it's the most natural thing ever. You know, of course, that's how humans have, have lived for, for time immemorial, you know? <laughs> so so where, where, where are you then in this current spectrum of tribes? Uh, I mean, I think I'm sure I'm part of some tribe. I definitely feel like I'm in an echo chamber with the kind of artists and other people I hang out with, but also that's why... I feel like I want to be vulnerable. And that's part of what that essay was saying was, or what I was trying to say is that I think it's good to talk to all kinds of people. And this guy, Ron Scott in Detroit, he's like a former Black Panther. Uh, he founded the Coalition of Police Against Police Brutality in Detroit. You know, he's like a, he's a lefty guy, but he was like, um, I think it was him that told him, he, he died a few years ago, but he said like, artists are supposed to talk to everybody. It's simple, but like, think about that. Like even the people you think are like totally you're totally against almost, you know, like, and I really want to try to be almost militant. There, maybe there's one thing I feel strongly about is, is really challenge myself to do that. I want to talk to everybody. We're hanging out yesterday at this base with these U.S. soldiers, like just because I want to talk to these people and look how different they all were from each other. It wasn't like it was all these like big, burly, bro, white dudes. It wasn't that at all. Like you're just talking to these people and I'm happy to talk to them. It doesn't mean that I'm endorsing U.S. imperialism because I want to hear what's going on here. I just want to talk to this person, you know, like, does that make sense? I'd like to thank the US embassy for funding this trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but of course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. And I think this is what, uh, you know, when you look at, and I, I think I've mentioned his name the other day and you, I don't know if it connected, but Louis Theroux, uh, the journalist, I'm sure plenty of listeners will be familiar, UK journalist, and he will go out and he'll sit there and do these really kind of candid calm interviews with white supremacists and yeah. he'll be you know or with the uh, Westboro Church Baptist Church you know he'll sit there and live with them for like two weeks at a time and just completely opposing views and opinions but will immerse themselves right. in their world and just allow them the space to kind of to be comfortable and to tell their story and not to it's maybe not the job of an artist in this role respect the same as a journalist it's not to judge it's just to open up this space for yeah that kind there's of like opinion. a quote about that too art art is supposed to it seeks to understand not to judge you know but like also of course like it you know it doesn't mean that i don't know like it makes me it reminds me too of that lady that uh she i think she had like a netflix show and also she i heard her on an interview on a different podcast but she um also like i think she's muslim she went and hung out with white supremacists talked to them uh hung out with them for maybe a month and almost all of them backed down on it because as soon as you know someone and you look someone in the face that's different than you or that y y is from supposedly a different world or ideology you cannot help but soften them and not and not stereotype them you know and that's what so many of these projects have been about and i know it sounds simple or like almost like obvious it's like a lesson you teach to kindergartners but it's also why I think like the gay rights movement has had so much play. As soon as you know someone that's of a different group that you are othering or stereotyping, you just can't do it as easily, you know, and it's just, it's humanizing, you know? Yeah. I love that. It sounds so cheesy, but. The exact same thing is this, you know, idea of just fucking speaking to someone, you know, it's this yeah. going to the, going to the camp yesterday and looking into the eyes and just having that, forgetting about everything else and just doing hand painting with kids. It's like yeah. all the other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. And you know how small of a fraction we're in of people that have gotten to do th that much of that or this much or in that many different places, you know, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Where do you, how do you feel? I always see you as kind of like, and you, you touched on the kind of the, the culture of muralism and things like that a little bit earlier. Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in, in this collective of muralists? And this kind of goes back to the, the tribal thing, I, I guess a little bit, because I always see you as maybe 
a little on the sort of the outer circle of this, even though you're still doing international projects and, and, and have a you know, pretty substantial Instagram following and all this stuff, but you're still sort of on maybe on the fringes. Is that an yeah. accurate thing to say? Do you I think? don't know. I mean, I just, I think that, are the other artists all like, did they have a party that I didn't they get do. invited to? They do, it's called Winwood, did it? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I'm not, I'm not super interested. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, but I think it's also because how I structure my personal life. Like, I'm private about other parts of my life, and I feel like uh, most of my friends don't uh, do the same type of art, or at least not in the same way. Um, and a lot of them have normal jobs, too. And also, we don't talk about my art that much. We do a little bit, but like, yes, but I like that. I don't know. I don't want, what, you want to hang out with all other artists all the time? I don't, I love, but then again, when I get to, when it, I come on uh, trips like this or like hanging out with Alex, you know, and yeah. everything else, it's great. But at home, I don't know. I just fall into hanging out with who's around, you know? Yeah. So maybe it's just being in Detroit. Maybe that plays a part in the fact that maybe this is just a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So what's coming up for you in the future? We're almost at time. Uh, I want to give you a chance to to sort of plug anything that you might have coming up in the pipes. What's ex what's left for 2022 and what are you sort of excited about for the future? Yeah, I'm going to start doing some more studio paintings. Uh, that's the main thing. Um, there's a few mural things that are starting to take shape, but they're all tentative. The big thing is another solo show next year um, in 2023 at, at Hashimoto in, in LA. Yeah, I can. But actually, yeah, and the show that we did in, in New York was awesome and it went really well. And yeah, I'm excited to do another one. Anything else you want to throw into the mix today, Pat Perry? I've just had such a great time with Doug. We've been hanging out for like a week, I just want to say, and we've really gotten to know each other. It's been, oh, come on, don't lie, you know. Oh, we've been having a good time. Oh, I think I we've been, yeah. <laughs> That was Detroit-based artist Pat Perry in conversation from Sunny Ferizai in Kosovo. We'll stick some links in the show notes for anyone interested in discovering more of Pat's work. Equally, if you are interested in learning more about the Kosovo Mural Fest and the work they're doing to usher in a new generation of creative talent, there will be some links in there as well. That's it from me for now. I will be back with you shortly with the second part of this special from Kosovo with none other than Axel Void. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>